Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Erie here along with my trusty co-host, producer, uh, face model. Sancho. Um, musician friend, Tim but Stafford. Sancho to your Quixote. Wow. I didn't know who that was when you first said it. And I was, I, so I just <laughs> didn't even acknowledge it. I was like, oh, okay. So yes. Yeah, although you you might be more Quixote, um, a little crazy. Uh, yeah, I the, Tim Stafford is preaching this week at uh, Vox Community, which is so fun. When you listen and, to this, I will have preached. Yes, yes. Yes. And, and, and what's and what's the topic, Timothy? Church. <laughs> yeah. What does it yeah. all mean? Right. What are we supposed to be doing. Well, have you got it figured out yet? I have some pages of notes that I need to distill down to a coherent thread. Nice. Nice. Uh, so that'll be fun. And um, I, I will say that um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting week culturally for us. Yes. We, we've just been watching all kinds of shenanigans <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Um, <laughs> The, something that that I saw, there were a couple of very well known and infamous, I don't know, people uh, who were who were talking about how um, <laughs> if you don't let them exercise their First Amendment right, they will exercise their Second Amendment right. And these are supposedly Christians, and that sounds exactly like something Jesus would say. Absolutely, absolutely, claiming rights and threatening violence. I love it in it's the also name of fun Jesus. That, uh, they're claiming the disparity of their first amendment rights while they're at public forums. Oh, I know it's so, yeah, it's so crazy. So yay. Team Jesus had another great week. We're doing great. Oh boy. <laughs> so anyway, we got a good show for you or, I mean, maybe not, I don't know. Cause like it hasn't happened yet. So we've That's got right, a show up in the air. We have something for you today. So ladies and gentlemen, hit the music. Timothy, I want to say I really like our new music. Thank you. Like, it's got some Pearl Jam in there. It's got like that first chord from the old intro, but now it's got a yep. little little pump. Yeah, it'll pump you up. We're cruising. Yeah. So I mean, that's a song. Like, if you let's turn that into a song. All right. Um, what rhymes with Voxology? <laughs> I don't know. Apology. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Apology. Um, and yes, so a uh, couple of things. Number one, we just want to say thank you to, um, to Kevin and Jacob and Cindy and Derek. We are a nonprofit crowdfunded podcast. And it is people like them, people like you, who allow us to, to do what we do and to do it and uh, give it away, of course, and keep it free. And so we just want to say thank you very, very much for those people who support us. Uh, thank you for all the emails and questions and comments we get. Uh, it is a great privilege and joy. If you're interested in joining the team, you can go to patreon.com, look up Voxology Podcast or Mike Erie, and uh, that'll take you there. Or if you're interested in our website, it's voxologypodcast.com. .com. And let's just talk about how great our color palette is. Just, just, just for a moment, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that. The buildup was so big. And the, the fervor around this thing was so great. I just want to say again, we have a cool color palette. So there you go. Yeah, I just Ladies approved all of our, uh, our new beta pages that are going to be launching here pretty soon. We have beta pages that are happening. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't even know the beta. You don't pages even know. Happening. So um, we get all sorts of email and uh, we did a episode uh, several episodes ago on spiritual abuse. And um, this young lady gave us permission to read bits of her email on air. Uh, she said, I listened to your episode on spiritual abuse, number 304, and found it incredibly helpful. In 2019, my husband and I made the decision to leave our church because of um, gaslighting and indifference around racism. Once we left, we realized there was a lot more that was going on that was concerning. 
Um, that being said, my own personal trauma of spiritual abuse has come at the hands of a younger sibling. It took years to put my finger on what happened to me because of the authority structure that is most always talked about in regards to spiritual abuse is lacking uh, in relation with the younger sibling. In other words, this is Mike talking now. In other words, we don't often consider how spiritual abuse happens in families. Right. Uh, mostly just in church structures. And so she continues, yet for 20 years of my adult life, my sister has used God or scripture to bully me into thinking, believing, and acting like her. A year ago, I finally put a hard boundary in place that we cannot have a relationship without going to counseling and to learn how to have a healthy relationship together. She refused. We haven't spoken. I wonder how many other people have gone through a similar experience and haven't been able to name it as spiritual abuse because it doesn't mm. fit the norm of an authority structure. Yeah. Uh, then again, speaking for God and using scripture as a means of bullying is the ultimate authority, however twisted it might be. So if anything is helpful, feel free to use this email. So absolutely it's helpful because yeah. it identifies something we didn't talk to Dan about. Um, and that is uh, how we misuse God talk in American evangelicalism. So Timothy, let's all let's just count the ways in which we misuse. So, so like the Lord led me, mm-hmm. the Lord told me, yeah, the Lord, Lord gave me a word called, for you. He gave me a word for you. Yep, the Lord. Um, uh, oh, I just had one. Um, the Lord led me, told me, guided me, spoke to me. Uh, the Lord spoke to me about you. Um, I feel I have a peace. Um, about X, Y, or Z, right? I mean, there are all kinds of ways uh, that we can use God talk to manipulate each other. And what's fascinating, of course, is um, the the Bible is so condemning of this. Uh, I mean, all throughout, I mean, I was just looking up passages in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Micah, and then you've got... uh, got Greatest Hits. Dude, there's a solid foursome right there. If you're going to pull from prophets, that's not a bad place to start. There's some sharp names. Um, <laughs> but the amount of condemnation for people who claim to speak for God is, is and it's taken so seriously that in Deuteronomy, uh, those people should be put to death if they testify falsely about God. And then, of course, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the ways in which we use words to manipulate he talks about true then later he talks about true and false prophets yeah um and and um and condemns them roundly and yet we've been um we've been a part of a culture that has fostered this idea that it's perfectly normal to say yeah i feel like god is leading me this way i feel like god told me this um, and, and obviously in the Bible, there are times when God speaks and guides and gives visions, um, but those don't seem the norm. And the, the permission um, we get to sort of claim that for ourselves is minimal to non-existent. Yeah. And so I, in the culture I grew up in, it was, it was all that kind of God talk. It was just, of course, well, God would speak to me. God called me. God led me. Or, you know, the elders of a church would get up and say, hey, God led us here. Right. And, uh, and I love how the early church in Acts, um, you know, they had this massive council, the first, you know, theological confab about what do we do with Gentiles? Um, and, <laughs> and then Sounds like the, a Seinfeld episode. Totally. Oh my goodness. What's and, the deal with Gentiles? <laughs> it was probably what's the deal with the uncircumcised? <laughs> um and they and they have this great line. It says, Well, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Mm. And that's about as authoritative as I ever want to get. And so so I, I just want to really affirm the uh, call out that this young woman is doing of that kind of, uh, she calls it bullying. Yeah. It can be manipulative. It can be um, exploitative. Um, it's, it can be just a means of power over somebody else. 
Well, it can be subtle too. Like I, I, when you're reading that, I was thinking about, and I've brought this example up before, but somebody who was talking about um, healing and their family through prayer and mm. God answering that prayer while people in the church had died at the same time from other things. Right. And it creates this weird dichotomy in people of like, well, God answered that person's prayers and did not answer mine. What's wrong with me? Right. And it's like, that's not necessarily an intentional abuse, but it is in a weird way, like a, a subtle way of exercising an, you know, an ideology that makes some people feel less than and makes them have like an existential crisis. Yeah. And that's a really yep. weird, you know, it's a sad place to be, to see people yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, and we called it pulling the God card, right? right. It's just how, how do you argue with somebody totally. who says, dude, God told me this. Yep. And I've heard countless horror stories of God telling me we're going to get married, um, God telling me. Now, now, I do think, I hasten to add, that there is a place for that kind of speech. I've had people say things to me like, hey, I was praying for you and this image came into my head. Have no idea if it's from God or not or just bad pizza. But <laughs> I just wanted to run this by you. Yeah. And I have a I literally have a list of some of those that have that have proven to be really powerful in my life. Well, those are the posture of that's so different. Like, hey, I this came to me, take it or leave it. I don't know. I won't right. I'm not gonna claim to know. But I thought maybe, you know. Rather than being like, God told me that your shoes need to be returned and exchanged for a new pair because I don't like them. <laughs> totally. Or or like, and, and, and Great John, John Eldridge, well, John Eldridge wrote a book years ago. And in it, he was talking about how he talks with God about every decision he makes. Hmm. And he told a story about him riding a horse and the horse ended up throwing him and he broke his leg and his reflection on that event was because he should have asked God which way he should have gone on this trail. And because he didn't, this is the kind of thing that happens. Hmm. And I, I'm sure there's a more charitable way of telling that story, but I just remember thinking, my goodness, that is so not what the Bible emphasizes. The Bible emphasizes wisdom. It doesn't emphasize yeah, some mysterious three-step voodoo approach to hearing God's voice. So, so I don't know. We just I wanted to read that first because she was so gracious and saying, hey, feel, feel free to read this if it would help people. Yeah. But secondly, I think that would be a worthy topic of some future episode just because one of the interesting things I've learned about what it means to take God's name in vain Right. Uh, that's the old way of saying it. One of the Ten Commandments, of course, um, is that, it, that, that the Hebrew reads more like, do not attach God's name to any empty thing. Yeah. And, um, and this, these just sort of muddled, dumb words are empty things. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the harm we do to each other that could just be so undone with just a little snippet of humility. You know, and so anyway, I, I just was grateful that um, she wrote in, and sorry that she experienced that, and and I, obviously, you know, there are ways of using the Bible, uh, and we're going to jump into those uh, that are beneficial and helpful, and there are ways of using the Bible that are that that are abusive, that are manipulative, that are exploitative, and. Um, and that's not so much about the Bible as it is about the person using right. um, the Bible. It does open up a lot of questions, her thing, her question about, and I think that, you know, you and I have talked about this just when I'm asking you questions about like the Holy Spirit and yes. what is the role of the Spirit and trying to, you know, there does seem to be a an idea of interpreting that the Spirit is the way in which God is speaking or interacting with us or whatever. And it's like, well... The, you know, the ambiguity of that is a double-edged sword, right? Like, it Well, prompts... think, think about how it's even construed. The mm. Spirit speaking to me. Right. So let's take, let's take the big old fat me out of there, which is what we emphasize, right? My devotional life, 
the meanest <laughs> over the weenus. The mean. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like, come on. I mean, all, we've already started from the from, wrong spot. Yeah. From the wrong spot. What do you mean, me and the Holy Spirit? When when Paul writes to a church, be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to a church. Right. And when Jesus talks about the Spirit testifying to him, he's talking to a community. Yeah. Right? And when the Spirit came, the Spirit came on a community. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, anyway, that's a really interesting. Well, that would be an interesting thing to look at in that conversation because usually when these sort of abuses or bullying or whatever happen, it's always that kind of thing, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, this has been given to me to right. give to you, right? And the, I'm in a position of power, yeah. Not the person of that's being spoken to is like, well, nothing was given to me, so <laughs> the Holy right. Spirit is not speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me via you. Yeah. I don't know. So it's it's a complicated, yeah, web that has been like you're saying, distorted from point one. But yeah. then it's like, well, how do we? How can we help? How do we help uh, folks pick that apart so that the spirit can be engaged with in a constructive manner? Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Because we just kind of rely on old terminology or old ideology, I guess. Totally, totally. Yeah, and it, and it goes back into what's the point of salvation? What, what does salvation mean and look like? <laughs> all the little right? questions. <laughs> right, well, it, it all ties together, right? The spirit yes. is the new creation in us. Mm. and the spirit the spirit guides um because we can we can quench it grieve it but again he's talking to churches right you know these aren't just individual me statements these are like hey church community you can quench the spirit if you if you if you don't test prophecies or if you don't allow them i think is what he was getting at that's also interesting. Well, I don't. We, we should move on to our, whatever we're doing, but I think that would be a worthy. <laughs> yeah, there, that just opens up so many questions about what does it mean to discern the spirit in community? Because that you know, yeah, um, I can think of like three or four verses just right off the bat that are like that that are directly or indirectly saying that. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. So it's an interesting. How does a church function, role, move forward? engage with that and then how do they how does that engage with the community at large i don't know all that's a really interesting dynamic that i yeah. don't feel like i've really seen no how could you no how could you it's we don't do any of that right? right what we do is a teaching worship event and if it felt good we said the spirit was there exactly and it's like i mean how shallow and again i've participated in all of this that's why i feel just fine banging away at it because i've done it <laughs> well and and i want to like, i want to understand it because i want to do it right like i'm just yes. not interested in being a part of another church body that is doing it incorrectly well th well there i can't help you because any church body is going to do it incorrectly that's <laughs> well at least the nature in the right direction looking the right way and then hoping to yeah discern through that as you go forward and if you take a left turn stop and be like whoa yeah let's turn around yeah and continue going you know, that feels like it'd be a healthy, at least a healthier version of whatever it is we're trying to do. Right. I, it would just be great if, if we could all exercise the grand value of humility together <laughs> and just <laughs> admit. Um, so, so excellent, excellent stuff, Timothy, John Stafford. But my rights. Yes, my rights. Totally, totally Jesus talk right there. Um, so we've been looking at the Bible, and we've had Jerzak, Levine, um, Butler, and Gombas. I mean, just the heaviest of heavy hitters. Now, Timothy, it's our turn. You know, we've listened, we've listened to the warm-up band long enough. It's time. <laughs> it's time for Motley Crue to take the stage. Um, or whatever. I don't even know. So, so what we want to do is um do and again the bible for me is is continually reconstructing and deconstructing all the time forever and it's glorious yeah and i call that discipleship because my goal is to faithfully live into the the story it's telling and um 
and this kingdom that is available and reshapes and, and it's reshaping the world. Yeah. So, so repentance and discipleship just are the process of going back again and again and, and ruthlessly excavating um, what I'm bringing to the text, what the text is calling out in me, um, how the text is used, and so on, so on, so on. So, so we want to just start constructing um, a sort of uh, an approach, maybe. That <laughs> you're going to say a Bible on how to read the Bible. <laughs> yes. Yeah, dude. Amen. Um, and and this this not shockingly is going to borrow from all sorts of wonderful people, but it's kind of um, it's kind of how I sit in it um these days and and tim i know you know one of the things that's so great about you is that you are you are in constant agony over <laughs> the church the bible the whole thing and so so this is this is like my best <laughs> attempt in yeah. all the years i've done this to start uh -huh. slowly putting hands and feet on some of the questions that you and and others and myself just all keep raising. So yeah, I definitely blame all you guys. I don't remember which guest it was that said, or maybe it was you that said, never trust anyone without a limp. Yes. So I'm just trying to impale every appendage I have. <laughs> it's just me per rolling around on the ground. Well done. Well, well done impaling. So, all right, enough, enough uh, introduction. So the first thing we want to do is we want to talk about what it means that the Bible is inspired. And, uh, um, and again, I mean, Tim Mackey and the Bible Project have done great stuff on this. I mean, Scott McKnight has done some stuff. Ben Witherington has done some stuff. Um, there, there's loads out there on what it, you know, N.T. Wright, of course, come on. Um, has done stuff on this. So, but this is how I put it together. Um, so the individual thoughts, you know, I don't ever claim original thinking. I just, you know, I, I love to share what I'm learning and in, in the hope that that helps with, you know, somebody else. So um, the, the thing that, that the most important thing to know about the Bible is um, that it's an ancient library that claims to be the result of divine and human activity in the world. And so it is, it is, um, Mackey will call it a human and divine word. He has this great way of saying that human and divine word. Um, Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that what the Bible claims for itself isn't what evangelicals have thought the Bible is. So the way, the way the Bible was taught and carried, it was this sacred, holy book that arrived perfectly from God's mouth through human beings. Oh, they would all say, of course, human authors, but that God superintended it to the point where it was infallible, it was without error, utterly trustworthy in all that it affirms, and was kind of this, there was a, it kind of like fell from the sky perfectly. You know, like first draft nailed it. Um, and if you doubted it or saw contradictions in it, there, were, there was a lot of apologetic energy um, in college towards like, how do we deal with alleged contradictions in the Bible or tensions in the Bible or whatever. And, and sitting behind that was the view that, well, if the Bible isn't consistent, it can't be from God. This was an uh, apologetics that you said? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I was totally into that. I, I had a philosophy professor from Michigan. Holy thunder. Was that what uh, that was? Yeah. Um, who was, was great and kind and just looked at me one day and I, when I was taking a philosophy class. We became friends. He was Jewish. He was agnostic. He was huge into analytic philosophy and, and just looked at me and said, Mike, you're too smart to believe this. Interesting. And he just was just it's so kind i mean he did it with a heaviness like there was no joy in like wrecking yeah. faith yeah. so my my response to him was to go say oh well but here's c.s lewis and here's josh mcdowell and here's you know here are all the answers and so i i, 
but you were defending the Bible from the charge that it was inconsistent, ambiguous. I mean, you were what you were claiming is that the Bible was perfect, um, and, um, and and the argument seemed to be, well, if you're a Christian, being a Christian requires the Bible to be perfect. That's like premise one. Premise two is the Bible isn't perfect, therefore the Bible is you know full of crap. And, um, and so that was the argument we were trying to defend against. And what the Bible claims for itself isn't that at all. It's not this divine, like everyone was whipped into a Holy Spirit trance and golden tablets were handed down uh, like to Moses or that God just kind of overrode everyone's personality. So, so the first thing I want to do is I just want to show from the bible how the bible talks about itself all right and um and then we'll talk about what that means all right so this is a lot of verses coming at you but they're just really they're really funny this is how the bible talks about itself yes and how it came about and it's really it's really boring um (laughs) (laughs) so so uh, there, there's a passage in Exodus. That's a bad apologetic right there. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a passage in Exodus where um, Exodus 17, um, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight them. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This is where Joshua... Um, uh, and Aaron held up his arms. As long as his arms, Moses' arms were up, they won the battle. When his arms were tired, um, they lost the battle. And at the end of that battle, the Lord, so here's God saying to Moses, write this on a scroll <laughs> as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out, blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So, that's interesting. Here's the divine and human interaction. Yeah. God totally. says to Moses, hey, write this down. Write this event that this thing just happened. Write that down because we want to remember it. Hmm. Okay. So there's inspiration. God says, write it down. Moses says, okay. Um, another example is the covenant. Um, later in book of the book of Exodus, uh, after they meet and uh, go up to the mountain at Sinai, um, they, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. And they responded with one voice, everything the Lord said, we will do narrator. They did not do everything the Lord said. <laughs> and then it says, Moses then wrote down everything God had said. Okay. <laughs> right. Really, really boring. Now there are instances where there is some sort of like vision, like prophetic vision that's introduced. So like uh, Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He's speaking like he's in a trance or something. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his road filled the temple. And then he has this vision where he and God go back and forth. Or Ezekiel, in my 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, excuse me, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So there is this ecstatic sort of prophetic vision that that is in there, but those stories are buried (laughs) in regular like, hey, write this down stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there There are times all throughout the Pentateuch um, where the, 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 like the writer will say, oh yeah, and I'm stealing this from this other book that's not in the Bible. Hmm. So like in Numbers, uh, they set out from along, uh, they set out from there and camped alongside the Arnon, Arnon, which is in the wilderness extending to the Amorite territory. Uh, it is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. And this is why the book of wars of the Lord says, and then it gives you a quote from a book called the book of the wars of the Lord. We don't have that book, (laughs) but he's just telling you, Hey, 
So I, I consulted this book over here, and here's, <laughs> here's what it said. Or in Joshua, right? Not the Pentateuch, but later, Joshua refers to something called the Scroll of Jashar. Um, he, on, the, on that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, and here's this quote. And then evidently, as part of his quote, he's quoting something from the book of Jashar. Okay, don't know what that is. Or in 1 Kings, you're reading constantly. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled, are written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Israel. Okay, so there's a book called the Annals of the Kings of Israel. And then, and then it says later for Rehoboam, um, all he did, are they not written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Judah? So evidently we've got Annals of, of the Kings of Israel, Annals and the Kings of Judah. Uh, there's this weird passage in Jeremiah where um, Jeremiah uses a professional scribe um, called Baruch. Um, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word of Jeremiah came from the Lord. Right? So here's, here is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations. Cool. Interestingly, the king gets a hold of that after Baruch writes it and burns it. And so the chapter closes with, so Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated it, Baruch wrote all the words on it, all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many, many similar words were added to them. Okay. <laughs> Right? Or like in Proverbs. Proverbs starts, uh, chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. In chapter 22, 30 sayings of the wise ones. We don't know who the wise ones were, but they're compiled next to Solomon. Uh, chapter 25, these are more Proverbs of Solomon compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So some sort of different addition. Uh, chapter 30, th these are the sayings of Agur, king of Jakai, the inspired utterance. Okay. Um, chapter 31, the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. An inspired utterance his mother taught him. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, all authority has been given to me. Hey, disciples, go and teach everybody this stuff. Right. Right? I mean, pretty. go and teach it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Luke, Luke begins. This is one of my favorites. Luke begins like an historian. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. It's talking yeah. about what's being heard about Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Oh, so thy witnesses held down, handed down stories, whether they were written or oral or whatever. But the eyewitnesses did this, and Luke's like, hey, I'm going to take a look at all this. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, probably the patron who supported the writing of the letter, so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So yeah. here's a guy with questions about the traditions handed down by the eyewitnesses. Luke says, oh, by the way, I'll go interview. Yeah. And writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Okay. Um, or how about John? The How John ends. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Right. And uh, which are not recorded in this book. Okay. <laughs> or how about how the New Testament, often Paul used, or the, the apostles used people to write their letters for them. Yeah. So Paul in Romans starts out, hey, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And then at the end of Romans, Romans 16, Tertius, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Yeah. Okay? Or Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's how it begins. Um, but at, at the end of the book, 1 Peter, it's with the help of um, uh, Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, that I've written to you briefly. 
Okay, well, how did that work? Yeah. Or Second Peter 3. Uh, he, he, he actually talks about Paul's letters. And he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience about returning means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you in the wisdom that God gave him. So God gave him wisdom. Notice, God gave him wisdom. Yeah. That's an interesting claim, right? He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, yeah. <laughs> which ignorant and unstable people distort as, do, as they do other scriptures, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so here's Peter saying, oh yeah, God gave Paul wisdom, but there's some things in there that are really difficult to figure out. I'm not done. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians, Paul is giving, uh, he's responding to questions he's gotten from the Corinthian church. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, he says in parentheses. A wife must not separate from her husband, so he's channeling Jesus' teaching on divorce. If she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. So he's just said, here's a command I got from the Lord, right. not me. But then he flips it and says, well, I don't have anything from the Lord on this, so here's my take. Yeah. So interesting. That is, yeah. And what's fascinating is he doesn't invent words for God or from God here. Right. He just simply says, hey, well, since I have the spirit too, here's what I think you should do. Yeah. It's totally fascinating. Like, I mean, later on in that same chapter, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Right. Okay. Pretty clear. These Pretty are, clear. These are my words. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, Galatians. Paul says, um, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Right? So here's the other side. Yeah. I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it, rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Right? But even at the end of that letter, he closes it by saying, see what large letters I write in my own hand. <laughs> right? Or in Colossians, he says, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Hmm. So evidently there was a letter to Laodiceans that we don't have. But Paul's like, just swap letters. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, or, <laughs> and again, I can keep going. In 1 Thessalonians, for the appeal we make, Paul says, does not spring from error or impure motives. Are we trying to trick you? On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Um, and then twice in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, so brothers and sisters, what I received, I passed on to you. And he quotes the tradition about the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus and the tradition about the Lord's Supper. And those words I received and passed on were like technical words for the passing on of an authoritative tradition. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is awesome. I'm still going. <laughs> right? Peter talks about, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Or in Revelation, we'll end here. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open to heaven. This is straight out of the Ezekiel playbook. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone on it. Hmm. So even in, in the New Testament, you get this sort of visionary speech. But, but notice, just notice the hodgepodge of, of how the Bible came to be. Yeah. Well... Let's see. God told me. Right. So there's some of that. 
God told me write this down, so I just wrote it down. I wasn't in a trance. I just well, here's what happened. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah, there were these other books that I that I reference over here in the New Testament. There's several references to like First Enoch um, and the Assumption of Moses. Um, uh, Paul refers to some Greek poets um, and uh, prophets, and you're, you're just like, oh okay, so so. It is a divine word. I mean, there is thus saith the Lord to this. Yeah. Um, and and Paul and the eyewitnesses were saying, listen, this is not of human origin. This is from God. Yeah. And it's a human participation Forward. of human agency. Yep. Well, you know, Paul says some things that are hard to understand. Or, or Paul's being like, you know, I don't have a command here, but I think this is the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's totally, or, or the Old Testament, like, hey, we're just writing down what God said about the covenant. Yeah. And, oh, here's some more Proverbs that his mom told him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then, and then and, and we know that there are other letters to the Corinthians. Paul references a letter that we don't have, or the letter to the Laodiceans. Yeah. Right. So, what did inspiration mean? It didn't mean it fell perfectly from the sky. Yeah. It meant that well, I wrote a first draft, but that was burned, so I had to write a second draft, and I added many more words to them. Yeah. It means that no, I'm writing this record about Jesus, Theophilus, because you want to know if this is true. Yeah. So I I prepared an orderly account. And there is good scholarship that says everyone that Luke names by name in the account, with a few exceptions, um, he's interviewed. Um, and so you're getting like, you know, maybe 30 or uh, 20 or 30 years later, but you're getting their recollections yeah. uh, that he then stylizes, right? Yeah. So, so, what, so, so Mackie has this great picture from a guy... Oh, what's his name? It's a drawing, um, and it's M.C. Hammer, M.C. Escher, <laughs> and it's and it's and it's two hands that are drawing each other. Yeah, at I the same time. Picture. Yeah. So the question, <clears throat> well, which hand is drawing the other? Right. right. And the answer is, well, they're both drawing at the same time. Yeah. So inspiration means that it is a divine and human process. There is divine agency that is exercised and there is human agency that is exercised. Yeah. And, and, and this challenges an assumption that I have held about the Bible and about the way God works in the world. We talked about this last night on our epic phone call <laughs> that we assume that when God does something, it means that humans aren't doing anything or they're right. doing very little. And we assume when humans are doing things, that means God's not doing it. Right. And that is not true even remotely. So how does God work? And this goes way back to the, the new creation stuff, right? Yeah. What, what has God intended from the very first? It is participation, partnership, cooperation. He made us vice regents. He gave us dignity and honor. He created us in his image. He calls us to name the animals and to tame creation and to take it somewhere, right? And that's God's agency. God's sovereignty is manifest through the humans, yep. right? His work in the world is manifest through them. So it's not at all shocking that the record we would receive of that human and divine partnership is a human and divine partnership <laughs> with all of the human messiness yep right the, all of the editing and the scribal errors and oh yeah this man how many angels are at the tomb i don't know well in matthew it says there are like two and then there's a, another gospel that says there's one and well let's just keep it all in there okay i love it <laughs> See, the golden tablet view, the falling from the sky perfect view, um, actually is the lowest view of the Bible that you could have. Totally. It's one-dimensional. It's absolutely one-dimensional. It's flat. It's, it requires no work from us. Yep. This, 
See, what God does is he agitates us. The Bible agitates us into something else, right? It does world building, yes, and it tells us the way the world and the universe really work. But then it agitates us into this wrestling, into this working out uh, in a community of what all of this means and looks like. And so, of course, it's messy. Of course, there's some ambiguity. Of course, there, there's... There are editing stages and phases, and we have volume two, but not volume one. And we have, and it's, and it's like, to me, that's how the Bible presents itself. I'm not yeah. making this up. This is the Bible's own words present it this way. Sometimes there were trances and visions, and we yeah. wrote it, we got a scroll, and we wrote them down. Sometimes God spoke, and we wrote those words down. Sometimes God did something. And we wrote those words down. Sometimes a church that I planted asked me a question, and I don't have an answer from Jesus, but I feel like I've, I'm in the spirit. I've been, the gospel's been revealed to me by Jesus, so here's my take. Yeah. Right? And then if you're wrong, you say, hey. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. Turns yeah. out I've learned more, and what I said before, that wasn't right. And here's well, and what the... Like that humility that we yes know, we're talking about the yes. beginning of all this, and and think about all of the ways in which it shows the authors of the Bible in its worst possible light. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I I mean you're you're sitting there and you're like, okay, so Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land. Yep. I mean, what a gut punch. David, nope, you're not going to build the temple because you've just been awful. Yeah. You know, your hands are too bloody, right? I mean, Jeremiah, you're going to have an epic prophetic ministry that no one's going to listen to. <laughs> hey, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah and a sword will pierce your soul. Yep. Hey, Peter, we're going to build the church on your asinineness and denial of Jesus three times. I mean, I mean, come on. So one of the reasons why I trust the book is because it doesn't hide any of its flaws or mess. Yeah, yep. Not at all. And, and um, if you're inventing something in that culture, you just don't include this stuff. Yeah. You just don't. Now, again, we haven't shown that the Bible is inspired. All we're saying is this is how the Bible talks about itself. Right. So whether or not you buy that the Bible is the divine word or that the Bible is a human word and merely a human word and that's it, that's a separate question. This is just, all right, well, because the biggest problem, and, and, it's, and we do the same thing with Jesus, we, we don't get the Jesus we want. We have to want the Jesus we get. Right. And it's the same with the Bible, right? We, the Bible, as it comes to us, doesn't give us what we want. Right. Uh, and so we have to learn to appreciate what it does give us and the work that it's doing. And so that starts first and foremost in Genesis 1. A theology of the Bible starts in Genesis 1, right? <laughs> with let me make image bearers who have real power and agency in the world and whose job it is is to reflect me into the world. And then those image bearers are broken. And, and here is the record of the divine human partnership yeah. in restoring the fallen image. And recorded in, in glorious and vivid detail, are all, all of the brokenness except for the one man, Jesus. Yeah. But in every other instance, Jacob, <laughs> Isaac, Abraham, Rahab, Right? I mean, it's just David, Solomon. I mean, there's just ugly. So <clears throat> one of the things we'll talk about in the future is, it, and, and when you hear it, it's no doubt, but no one follows this. The Bible, just because the Bible records it doesn't mean it approves of it. Yeah. And so there's loads that the Bible records that it doesn't approve of. Yeah. Right? Polygamy. Let's start there. Page one, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Page four, oh, here's a guy with multiple wives. Yep. We've okay. had people, I don't know if it was Gombus or somebody was reflecting on that 
And I think uh, Josh, uh, you know, Joshua Ryan Butler brought it up too when he was talking about violence and kind of just the way that like this isn't it does just because it's recorded there is not a positive reflection upon what it is it, and a lot of times right. it's a commentary that this is not and this is what right. the author is actually trying to get at right right the the text doesn't need to tell you that the, the way that Cain lives is a good way to live yeah right because mm-hmm. the story does that work the text doesn't need to say oh and by the way Cain's a bad guy <laughs> um and, and the text doesn't have to say Solomon, I mean, we lost the kingdom because Solomon made political allegiances through marriage. Yeah. That's why, that's why there was a civil war right there. The story tells you that. You don't, you don't no, nowhere does polygamy work out well, right? right. In Abraham, Abraham, Sarah and Hagar. And so, so people will throw at me, you know, well, hey, the Bible, you know, I mean, if you want biblical marriage, well, here's polygamy. Um, and it's like, well, on, on the one hand, you're absolutely right. The ideal was given, and then the reality <laughs> is written about. Yeah. But the text doesn't leave it unclear about the results of that kind of life. Yeah. So, so um, we just have to be super careful not to take descriptive passages and come up with, you know, Full prescriptions or... for each other's. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that was one of Dan uh, Kimball's, what was it, the four or five yeah. know, rules for how to yes. kind of begin engaging with the Bible. One yeah. of them is not taking one verse out of context to Yeah, never read one verse. Yeah. yeah, totally. So this, I have a couple questions. One, and they're kind of the same question, actually, but so when you were just talking about uh, about whether or not the bible is uh divinely inspired yes uh, so i think it's really interesting to look at what that really means because we kind of only have one or we have been we've been operating under one definition or one assumption right that, that and that's the golden tablet it's just like this is just what it says and it doesn't require engagement or interpretation right so it's like this idea of divine inspiration with everything you just said about how um, the text does give us answers just because, um, you know, quote unquote, biblical heroes had multiple marriages or whatever, or multiple wives at once, um, that that was not the ideal, but it is what happened. Right. The divine inspiration requires a little bit of work. Oh, like yes. you're being and inspired to work. Yes. And we're, that's our next episode. Oh, well. Is, is Spoilers. What because if, if this is true, that this is a human and divine um, partnered cooperative endeavor, right? that means then that God accommodates to the world okay. that he finds. Yeah. So not to the world. Question. Yeah. Yep. And well, so that's, I also have a little bit of a question on authority. But maybe that's also that's coming. That. That's okay. on. It, that's in the future. I just I want to do one chunk. Yeah. And just overmake the point. Yep. So no, I think the it's point, great. The point today, simply, is that the Bible claims to be both human, the product of human agency and divine agency. Yeah. At the same time, and that if you take the the human agency out, you get the falling from the sky. Yep. View. And if you take the divine agency out, then you just get, oh, well, this is just what the Israelites thought about God. Right. Right. We don't know if it's true. It's just what they thought. Yeah. There's no revelation to it. It's just, oh, dear diary, Yahweh was up to his usual tricks today. You know, a whole well, bunch of people were That's also interesting, too, in the- because the way we do use the Bible in saying that it's divinely inspired is that we will use specific instances of Peter or Paul or whoever, and then try to uh, like directly adapt them so that we can speak with the same authority. Where yeah. it's like, what is Peter's relationship to scripture? Well, he was living in it. Like it was a, it's an account. Right. And yeah. what's Paul's? Well, Paul got knocked off a horse and God like directly, like actually. Yeah. Like, there, it was a, he was a special circumstance. <laughs> like, yeah. So when he talks about like, God gave me this word. Well, I don't really know what that means in regards to Paul because Right. If we take Paul's account as true, then 
Jesus did speak very directly to him from something that's not just a physical, tangible, that's right. whatever. So that, that, that's right. that changes that as well. So to speak with, yeah. to try to say like, I'm going to speak to you the way that Paul would speak to you in this instance, like, well, no, you can't. Exactly. The, the determining most important factor. Well, there were two in how the Bible got put together is that did it come from an authorized, a Jesus authorized representative of the movement? Yeah. And then secondly, did the communities recognize it as inspired? Yeah. And, um, so and Moses's so it was assumptions. It, huh? Moses' assumptions were. Yeah. 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 And, there's, and again, go hit that Mackie video. He covers some of this. We did it in a bit more detail, and he does it. He's taking it somewhere else. But um, about how the Bible got put together, yeah. that's, the, that's the very interesting. And we're not, I'm not going to repeat that because he does it just far better than... I'll put that in, in the notes again, but it's yeah. in the last episode in the show notes. The absolutely, absolutely. And so that you know, hand-on-hand thing is from him and... Um, he goes through some of the same passages just talking about, no, it is a human and divine partnership. Yeah. And, um, and so there are implications for that that we'll begin to explore. But that's just where we start. Yeah. We, we, take, we approach the Bible as it is and, and as it claims to be. So you start with what, 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 are, its, what are its claims? Well, it's God-breathed. The Old Testament is God-breathed. Jesus used it and saw it as authoritative in his debates with people. Okay, now that doesn't mean it is, but we're just dealing with it as it comes to us. Yeah. Right. And and then and then what does that mean? Yes. If it is that, then what? Like. Yes. 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 Our, yes. I think our understanding of that is one-dimensional, also. Yeah. It gets us in a lot of trouble. Yeah, because now it gets and 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 so there are people who make a ton of money on just showing Christians, oh hey, here's some of the mess. Right. <coughs> And Christians have been so ill-prepared yeah. to see some of the mess. Their faith is shipwrecked by things that are no big deal. Yeah. If you understood what the Bible says about itself. Yeah. You know? That's ways in which the Enneagram was helpful for me is like really looking at how wildly different all of our brains are structured. Because even at this yeah. age, I still... I'm sometimes surprised when people don't process information the same the way that I, that I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I have to keep in mind that there is a varied way that this and this, and so the effects of this will be varied as well. When, yes. Uh, when you're talking, you know, about these kind of things with people. And again, what's the, what's the Bible for? See this, yeah. I mean, we're going to spend so much time on this. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. Exactly. That's right. It's a guideline for how to make sure you go to the good place and not the bad place. <laughs> yes. Timothy, you have nailed it completely. <laughs> and it will not be shocking to know that we are speaking sarcastically and that we think it's for something else. So, um, so I, I have, the more I study the Bible... And the more I study the world around the Bible, and I'm by no means, like I, I, I'm going, I want to go back to school to, to study this more. So I feel like I've, I've done all the work I can do, but I, I need to step up the scholarship game. Um, the more I look into it, the higher my view and appreciation and trustworthy come, trust, mm. sense of trustworthiness comes to me. It's, it's, um, and, and how impoverished it is to think that what God did was give us a 15-minute devotional manual that has principles for our life. Right. Um, and instead, he's doing something so much bigger. So, yeah. And, and you just see why people don't want to engage with it. it it's just, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And it's, it's like agitating. And it takes... As we've talked, you've pointed this out so much throughout these four interviews. It just takes patience. Yeah. And um, you know who? I mean, why? Why do that work when I can get my favorite, you know, authorities' take on it? Yeah. 
Um, and so I think part of the job of teaching is just to spark curiosity, you know? Yeah. Or so you go to a, a convention where he tells you that you're going to leave with Jesus and an AR-15. That's what I'm talking about. Bringing it back. <laughs> it's a lot simpler. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, my friends. May the Lord make his shine his, may, may the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. Um, and, uh, may, oh, I've totally screwed this up. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> Man, I was getting all cocky. I thought I, I thought I just had it. All right. Um, so may the Lord uh, be kind and gracious. May the Lord lift up His countenance. <laughs> um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you and in these days give you peace. Yes. Peace. Yes! Oh, good night. That was, that was, that was early onset something. I don't know what that was. We've only, we've only said that thing hundreds of times. Anyway, that tells you about our day. But anyway, friends, Romans, countrymen and women, see you later. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.